Hello and welcome to the Vascular Forum podcast. My name is Carlota Fernandez Prendes. And my name is Agla Cavaloneta. This month's editor's choice is Role of Compression After Radiofrequency Ablation of Varicose Veins, a Randomized Controlled Trial by Madhu Onvudike and colleagues. Carlotta, why is this report relevant? 10 to 30% of all adults suffer from varicose veins, making them one of the most frequent vascular pathologies, in addition to one of the most common procedures undertaken by vascular surgeons. It has been well established that traditional surgical techniques, such as stripping, crossectomy or selective phlebectomy, require postoperative compression therapy. However, the last decade has witnessed a surge of minimally invasive treatment options for varicose vein management, including radiofrequency ablation, endovenous laser therapy, and foam sclerotherapy. Although it has now become standard protocol to recommend post-procedure compression therapy after these interventions, there is no robust evidence to support it. While previous studies have tried to determine the appropriate compression duration, this study challenges post-procedural compression altogether. What was the objective of the study? So the aim of the study was to compare the efficacy, complications and patient satisfaction following radiofrequency ablation of superficial truncal incompetence with and without post-procedural limb compression. And what was the design of the study? It was a single-center, prospective, non-inferiority, randomized controlled trial. And how did they select the patients who were included in the study? Well, they included C2 to C6 patients. The C6 patients only presented ulcers under 2 cm in diameter with little or no exudate and which were not already in compression therapy. Other inclusion criteria included age over 18 years, superficial truncal incompetence of the great and small saphenous veins, consent for radiofrequency ablation, and suitability for outpatient surgery. Exclusion criteria included target veins that were very tortuous or superficial to the saphenous fascia and close to the skin, secondary varicose veins, previous deep venous thrombosis, a BMI of over 40, active ulceration already on compression, pregnancy, lycra allergy, and finally, an ankle brachial pressure index under 0.9. What was the surgical procedure? The surgical procedure consisted of truncal radiofrequency ablation under tumescent anesthesia without adjunctive sclerotherapy or phlebectomy. The patients were usually discharged after two hours with a single dose of perioperative and oxaparin. How was the randomization planned? Well, the randomization took place on the day of surgery by means of sealed opaque envelopes generated from a table of random numbers. The sealed envelope was opened by the patient at the completion of the procedure. Aside from post-operative compression, every aspect of the treatment and follow-up was identical in both study arms. What kind of compression was randomized? A class 2 compression stocking between 23 and 32 millimeters of mercury was applied to patients randomized to the compression group to be worn during two weeks, day and night during the first week, daytime only during the second week. What were the primary and secondary endpoints? The primary outcome was successful target vein obliteration as determined by duplex ultrasound scan at 10 to 12 weeks, with the target vein being deemed occluded if no more than 2 cm of the stump was patent and at least 90% of the treated length had been obliterated. Secondary outcome measures included 
changes in quality of life assessed by the Aberdeen-Varicose-Vein Severity Score, disease severity assessed by the Venus Clinical Severity Score, patient satisfaction measured with a Likert scale patient satisfaction questionnaire, and subsequent complications. Patients were followed during 12 weeks per study protocol. Did the authors do a power and sample size calculation? Yes. Assuming a 90% power, a type 1 error of 5% and a planned success rate of 97.5% for patients receiving compression, the required calculated sample size was 40 patients in each arm. To increase the robustness of the study, ethical approval was granted to include a total of 100 patients. How many patients were finally included in the study? Finally, a total of 100 consecutive patients were included between April 2015 and November 2017, 51 of whom were randomized to the compression group, 49 to the no compression group. There were no significant differences in the baseline characteristics, namely age, gender, comorbidities, Aberdeen varicose vein and venous clinical severity scores between the study arms prior to intervention. The great saphenous vein was the sole target vein in about 80% of the cases. Okay, so the authors achieved their calculated sample size, thus obtaining an adequately powered study with comparable groups. How many patients were lost during follow-up period? And how were the results analyzed? Overall, a 94% follow-up rate was achieved at 12 to 14 weeks, 48 patients in the compression group and 46 patients in the no compression group. All analyses were performed blind on an intention-to-treat basis by multivariate logistic regression. So what did the authors find? Was there a significant difference regarding the author's primary outcome? Target vein obliteration, evaluated at 12 weeks by duplex ultrasound scan, was 98% in both groups. Thus, no differences were observed. What about the secondary outcomes? Patient satisfaction, 92% and 91% respectively, pain score 1.9 and 2, and post-procedural pain-free state 45% and 49% were similar between the compression and the no compression groups. The quality of life and venous disease severity scores were also similar at 12 weeks. The two groups revealed no differences in the rate of complications. Two patients had asymptomatic calf DVT at their two-week scan, while two patients had asymptomatic thrombus extending from the treated great saphenous vein into the common femoral vein. These two received anticoagulation without documenting any extension in the six-week control scan. No patient suffered a specific complication from compression, although 20% of the patients in the compression arm complained about difficulty and or discomfort associated with wearing it. This study also explored factors that could potentially be associated with success or failure of target vein obliteration. It found that age, gender, comorbidities, baseline CEAP classification, vein diameter, length of procedure, number of radiofrequency cycles, or recurrent varicose veins did not affect this outcome. How practice-changing are these results? Well, this study questions the general assumption of mandatory compression therapy after radiofrequency ablation, finding, indeed, no significant differences in target vein obliteration, patient satisfaction, or complications in the short term. Considering that postoperative compression does not generate complications but does represent a source of frequent discomfort, it is tempting to stop its routine use and consider it only selectively for patients with, for example, venous ulcers or edema. Apparently, the absence of compression therapy will not affect technical or clinical success. 
Although this is an adequately powered randomized clinical trial offering good quality data with robust and plausible findings, it is limited by short-term follow-up. The authors plan to recall the patients for clinical and sonographic review after 24 months, information which will be interesting and important for the conclusiveness of their findings. This is especially significant given that prior studies have shown that, although the primary occlusion rate of varicose veins treated by endovascular techniques is nearly 100% during the first post-operative months, this figure falls to about 70-80% to at one-year follow-up. Could the post-operative use of compression therapy change the long-term occlusion rate? Probably not, but this too must be scientifically evaluated. Bear in mind that this study is limited to one single centre whose patients underwent truncal radiofrequency ablation without phlebectomies or sclerotherapy, making it not widely generalisable. Further conclusions regarding the potential factors associated with short-term non-occlusion rates should, moreover, be carefully interpreted as this study was not powered to calculate that endpoint. If further trials with larger patient subgroups mirror these results, they are likely to change guidelines and clinical practice in the future. Economic analysis would also be very welcome, a crucial aspect at a time when cost containment is becoming increasingly paramount. We encourage you to read the full text paper in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery, Year 2020, Volume 60, Issue 1, pages 108 to 117. Look out for the next Vascular Forum podcasts. They're all available in SoundCloud, Spotify, and the EGVS Vascular Forum webpage at egvsreports.com. Have a great summer, everybody. Talk to you soon.